when we really think about relationships, and it can be husband-wife, it can be boyfriend-girlfriend, it can be, you know, parent-child, parent-teenager, friends. We all have those things where when we're communicating, we have that relationship, there's certain things that come up, and we can argue about things. And oftentimes, when it's not something about who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl today, but when it's something that matters about the actual relationship, it comes down to this idea of are, are, we, are we connecting, are we understanding where the other person is coming from, in a sense? Um, do we understand what the expectations are, um, kind, of, kind of in that relationship? Um, I actually got to spend, I wasn't able to be here last weekend because I, I got to go around with a guy at Fuller Seminary, his name's Chap Clark, and he's... Uh, been in youth ministry, and actually he doesn't even call it youth ministry anymore, youth, family, and culture, because he says ministry is a program, really it's about this idea of how youth and the family is engaged with our culture, and how we can be with them, and I, and I got to go around with him um, to represent Fuller Seminary, but it was over like five different, I heard him speak five times in four days, which was, you know, a lot, I got a whole education in, in basically four days, but one of the things that really stuck out to me, um, because he's really oriented to adolescence. And kind of what has developed over the last 20, 30 years within adolescence and, and, and that has gotten to this point and, and, and what are we expecting of them? And one of the things that really stuck out to me with that, and this is just going to lead into this verse, was he found that teenagers, and, and, and actually up to about 30, he said, even people up to about 30, we have grown up in a world with expectations where people are wanting something of us whether it's our job, whether it's our parents, whether it's our teachers, whether it's youth sports programs. You know, that was one of his big pet peeves was that, like, peewee football games and, you know, these other youth sports programs, they're not about making sure that everybody that's a child is learning how to play that sport. It's for the parents, and it's gotten so competitive. And it's gone from when coaching started, it was about making, using sport to help people develop character. And that's not what it's about now. And, and, uh, and it is in some cases, but he, but he just brought up a lot of these illustrations. And it was very, very interesting because what he said was happening was that teenagers and young adults have learned how to adapt. So they've learned how to be somebody in that particular circumstance, on a sports team, in the classroom, with their family, probably different with the mother and with the father. And different than a third way when they're both together. I mean, he brought up a lot of this stuff. It was very interesting. I'm bringing all this up because, in a sense, what today's talking about, what the verse is, is, and we'll read it here real quick. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. There's something that's interesting here. We're talking about, in a sense, obedience, keeping commandments and love. And and how does this interplay with each other? You know, how does love, you know, if we obey all the rules, are we loved? Unfortunately, that's definitely the way some people have grown up, you know, when we're talking about these things. These expectations that have been put on us in our world, well, you, you have value, you have love, you're loved if you do something. And, and one of the things that Chap Clark found, and I, this is just what I thought was amazing, was people were basically selling short and categorizing kids, but yet all the kids were in the same boat. Even those overachievers and versus those who didn't do anything. He found out really they were in the same place, that both of them thought they were just one slip up. In fact, the overachievers were even closer sometimes because one slip up and they thought 
they were no longer loved. They were no longer valued because now they haven't done what they've, you know, the, the, the achievement that they've had. And when we look at this, is that what this verse is saying? He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me and will be loved by my Father. And I mean, when we, when we kind of look at this, is that what's being said here? Is, that, is it saying, keep my commandments and you'll be loved? Is, is that what we're seeing? I don't think so. I don't think we're getting that. Is that the way that we see obedience? I'd like to use a really quick little illustration of this. I have two things in my house that I often tell what to do, and they either do or don't do it. Amanda's not one of those. I don't try to tell her anything to do. One's our computer, and one's our dog. I never tell the computer it's obedient. Because a computer has no choice. If I hit something on the keyboard or give it a command or tell it to go to a certain web page, it's going to go to the certain web page. It has a program that has no will of its own, no ability to choose whether or not it's going to behave. It just does. That's actually what we call compliance, what would be considered like an idea of compliance. You're complying with the law. You're doing what you have to do. You have no choice in the matter. That's not what obedience is. Obedience is our dog who actually, because she's not obedient all the time, but it's when she decides to listen to the commands. It's, it's when she decides to sit and shake because you have some food and she thinks she's going to get the food. But, you know, maybe that's for her. But, you know, like it's this idea that, I mean, but she's not like that all the time. There's other times when she's very good and there's no reward involved, but she's gotten to that point and it's a relationship and it's, it's this obedience because the dog is chosen. And, and we definitely think that our dog is obedient. You hear obedience described there. There's a choice in some, some way and shape and form because of the relationship that's there. And so that's what I want to kind of look at. And when we look at this verse, I think it's important to now go and kind of look at the context of what, of what we're getting here, this idea. I actually had a small group that I uh, led a, a little while back that I think also just illustrates this. We were actually talking about rules. It was, it was, a, it was a small group series called uh, Guard Posts. You know, like on the side of the road, there's the guardrails? And basically, the guardrails are placed somewhere to keep you from going over a cliff. But it's placed somewhere where you're not going over the cliff. So this whole series was about put guardrails in your life so you don't fall over the cliff. So like in you know sexual matters, put the guardrail where where your conscience and where you realize oh I'm getting too close before you fall into you know whatever the sin is. And I actually had it, as we were going along the conversation developed and I was like oh wait a second we're still looking over here we're not looking at where we're going on the road we're looking at the guard post. And so we started to talk about that. And at the end of this, I thought, pretty good talk. This one gal comes up, so what are you telling me to do? You know, kind of ask, what are you telling me to do? And it's like, the point is, is I'm not telling you what to do in this particular circumstance. It's that you're pursuing God, you know, kind of along that road. And, and uh, it doesn't mean that you don't put these guardrails in, in a sense. It doesn't mean that we go over here. But can you see, like, if we're focused about the commandment or focused about the rule, that we've forgotten the, who's giving, the, you know, the relationship aspect. You know, coming back again to, to any relationship, if I just try to do exactly what Amanda, did, you know, tells me to do in any particular circumstance and I just do it because she's telling me to do it but I don't really want to do it and I don't really value our relationship, that's going to be pretty old pretty quickly, isn't it? I mean, we're not really going to, you know, develop a closer relationship. I kind of want to just do that as, an, as a, kind of an introduction to this verse, because this verse is so important. Um, 
I know Steve talked on Thursday night for those that were in the group on a, on a way of understanding how faith can take us to, to places that sometimes even put us at odds with maybe a moral norm or a cultural norm or even a commandment of God. And, and we're going to kind of talk on the other side a little bit today. But you just, I mean, those that were there, it, it's there. And it's one of the things to remember is that it's about this connection and listening to the Word of God. And so I want to step back and I want to talk a little bit about the context of what, of, of the situation, the statement that Jesus just gave here. Because we read it and it says, He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Well, this is found in the Gospel of John. That's the book, the Gospel of John. Uh, the word gospel is actually very interesting. It's, it's John's take, in a sense, his inspired take of his perception of the life of Christ. He was there. It's the record. It's how he's chosen to, to write down with the, with the inspiration of God about who Jesus was. That's what the gospel aspect of, of John, that's what it is. It's, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the story of Jesus. That's what this is. That's what this entire book's about. And John wrote this for the world of the time, a world that was now expanding into the Gentiles, away from a pure Jewish context and, and expanding out. John was probably, this gospel was probably written a little bit later than the other three. This, this gospel, and you can see some of the other writings, John has probably written in a, definitely a more Gentile or Roman and Hellenized world where it's less Jewish and more European. You know, in, in using cultural, you know, current terms. And and he writes this pointing to Jesus. And there's something that's that's I think very, very important with understanding this. That this book is a story, so it starts at the beginning. And how does John start? Does anybody know how John starts? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. It's very interesting that he uses that term and, and those terminology. That's how he starts. He's linking Jesus with this divine Word that actually goes all the way back to, in the beginning, echoes Genesis 1-1, which for those then, they, they knew the, the Old Testament. He's linking Jesus to the beginning of the story. And so then we get within John the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus. When we get up to here in, in chapters 12 through 15, Jesus is actually kind of culminating his ministry. This is right before he's betrayed, apprehended, and goes into the 14 stations. It's actually kind of, a, this is an appropriate time to talk about this passage because that's where we're at in the story. Jesus is actually here, basically around the time of the Last Supper. The time he's foretelling of what's going to come. He's foretelling of his death. He's foretelling. He's giving last instructions, basically, to his disciples. And when I say disciples here, it's, it's, it's more than just the 12. But, but that's the people who have been following him. The men and women who have been following Jesus. Jesus is now relaying his messages, his, his, his hints. Or maybe not even hints. He's trying to be very clear at this point. He's trying to link what he's done with his father back to the beginning of the story, but also with the culmination and the end of the story. And we start to see that. And so, 
I really want us to look at this verse, this idea of obeying the commandments, and this idea of uh, is the one who loves me. There's a cause and effect that's really kind of wrapped up that when we look at this context, we start to go, oh, he doesn't mean just flip open the Bible, find one of the rules, and then obey it. I'm not saying he doesn't mean that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying if we flip to the Old Testament and we find the Ten Commandments, yes, we're supposed to obey the Ten Commandments. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what, what we find here is there's actually a thread that we can take this verse and we understand there's some specific commandments and there's a specific relationship that is found with this obeying statement that he's making here in John 14. And so I'm going to go ahead and read, reread in John 14, verses 15. Oh, and I think I'll end at 20, 26. So follow with me on that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me and I in you. He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, so not the one that betrayed him, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance in all that I said to you. We start to see some themes as we start to build this out a little bit. That there's this, this connection. I can't help but see that there is a connection between obedience and love. And if we think back to what I was mentioning earlier, it's when it's not compliance, when it's, it's this understanding of this relationship. It's, well, if you love God, it's not a matter of what can or can I do. It's a matter of I'm in a relationship with God. I want to do, I want to be in relationship with God. It's, it's different. In fact, we see this language, and it's repeated like about three times in here. The Father is in me. And if you love me, I am, you know, the Father's in you because I'm in you and you're in me. And, and you know, we, it, it can almost get confusing when you read it really fast. Wait a second, what is going on here? And I'm sending a helper that's going to be in you, that's going to help you when I leave because I'm going to leave. But God's, but, but, and you can't follow me if you go early, but you can't follow me where I'm going. But I'm going to send a helper because my Father's in me and my Father's going to be in the Spirit who's in you and so that you can be in me. I mean, we start to see that there is this aspect that's, I mean, confusing. But it's a unity. It's this idea of we're together. You know, it's, it's the idea, I think, of maybe in, in practical terms, like in a relationship. If you're married, you start to, instead of thinking about me, you think about us. It's what are we going to do? You know, where are we going? You still have your individual stuff. Otherwise, you know, the arguments wouldn't be there. And, you know, the other things that we talked about, even, even other things like that, you're still two individuals, but you start to understand this unity, this us, this we that's there. And, and we see that God already is a we. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. We see that right here in this passage. 
and it, and it's really cool. It's wrapped up. He's he's there, but it's not just that. It's also us. He's bringing us. Anybody who loves God is going to be in that relationship, that relationship that he already has. And that's where obedience comes in. Because Jesus was the only truly faultless, obedient person. We, we know that when we read scriptures, we see that. He was the only person who was never able not to rebel, not to sin, not to stumble, not to turn away from God. He was the only one who ever did that. But, but in that, he's also made it possible to bring us back into that relationship to bring us back into this idea of loving, which is obedience. Because, and when I say it is obedience, this is, this is what's really interesting. The two commandments Jesus gives that are right on either end, that it says, this is the commandment I have for you. If you flip to, right before John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. That's the commandment Jesus gives right before he says, if you obey me, that's the one who loves me. So wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. So it's love. And then right after, it's kind of interesting. Right after this, our, if you remember a few weeks ago, week one of the experiencing God, Steve preached on it. It's the vine and the branches. It's this idea of we're connected with God. And we go through this. What's the commandment that happens right after this? This is my commandment. This is 1512. This is my commandment. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no more than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And again, this is Jesus saying this right before he laid down his life for us all. I mean, he's getting it. So there's, again, there's, there's this connection. These are the commandments that John has chosen to put in his gospel right around this verse. They go together. We can't take one without the other. Again, it doesn't mean obedience does not mean you know, we don't have to worry about the law. I think that that's actually an interesting thing. We do have to worry about the law. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to how that kind of plays in here in just a second. But actually, when Jesus was asked how to sum up the law, how did he sum it up? Does somebody know this? I think it was last week's memory verse. Yeah? Yeah? The way to sum up the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength mind or you know and uh yeah i always get the versions you know mixed up but uh um you know but it, it's to love the lord your god with all those things and it's and it's i love actually side point whenever i hear that i think it's important to understand love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength is in some and then there's three and others tom parker who's the director at fuller he always says and i love this that's not multiple choice <laughs> and i think it's very important for us to remember that because it's not just our mind loving God. It's not just our heart loving God. It's not just this idea, the soul, the spirituality that's, you know, separate from our actions. It's not just our strength. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it, our whole being, all the aspects of our being are brought together in that unity of love. And so that's side point. You don't have to pay me for that one. Um, you don't have to pay me for any of this. I don't know. <laughs> but... Anyway, I just think it's very interesting that when we really start to look at the law or the, or the commandments, when we see this aspect, now we're seeing why the law exists, why the commandments exist, why Jesus is leading people to himself and saying, if you obey, you love, and if you love, you obey. I think there's an interesting thing. Like if we look at the cause and effect here, 
what it says is, if you love me, basically, in 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then we see an interesting thing in 21, he who has my commandments is the one who loves me. What we're not seeing is, he who obeys my commandments is the one who loves me. It's slightly different. The one that loves me obeys. And, and, and I think, and this, you can look, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and read the very first few verses there. Um, I think this illustrates it. Because, again, they're closely linked. We're not talking about this. But I think this is what we need to prevent ourselves from becoming Pharisees within the Christian faith. I'm obeying. I'm coming to church every Sunday. I'm doing the right things. I'm observing whatever it is that I observe. I, I'm saying the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Those are all great things. But those in and of themselves do not show your love and your connection. 1 Corinthians 13 says, the one that sells everything that he has and gives to the poor and does everything but has not love is just a clanging symbol. We start to see that, you know, at the beginning of where he's talking about, Paul talks about in love, we're starting to see that there's this aspect that, that is showing a cause and effect, that obedience comes. Obedience is vitally important because when we love, we obey. Now, we stumble. We're not perfect. We continue to, to fall away. But if we get up and we look at it and we can look at the commandments and we can look at the things that say, that's where we're supposed to be. But I don't need to go. And, and, there's debates out there. I mean, I know some churches that are wrapped up in debates on walking through every type of sexual thing that's happening right now and saying whether it's right or wh whether it's wrong. There's some churches that do that. Well, this is okay, but that's not okay. And this is okay, but that's not okay. And you shouldn't get to this point and you get to that point. I would say, why are we having that discussion? Is that the focus on how far is it until I sin, when really sin has to do with this attitude of whether we're turned away from God and pursuing our own interests or something else, or are we oriented towards God? And so if we are oriented towards God, of course. Well, I don't need to worry about the specifics because it's not even coming into my mind. And that's where we allow you know, this, this direction towards obedience, in a sense. Um, I have a lot more. I think this context within this, this series, within this John, we can look, if you go back to 12 and read through 15, and you start to see this. Uh, again, the vine and the branches, it's right after this passage. That, sh again, shows it. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, fruit this idea of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, you can go to Galatians and see a list. Or you can, you know, some other things of, of what this fruit is. It's character matters. What we're realizing is that God's drawing us, and the law draws us, to this idea of who God is, who actually he is, and how he relates to us. And in that moment and in that place, that's where obedience, that's where our lives find their meaning. So this obedience isn't a taskmaster. You know, it's not somebody saying, if you do everything exactly this way you're in, but if you don't, you're out. And we have a tendency, I mean, we all have a tendency to do that. To say, oh, I got this figured out now, so if you do this, you're good. You don't do that, you know, you're gone. If you root for the Giants today, you're okay. If you root for the Patriots, sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that's really arbitrary, but that's what we have to be careful of, of, of doing. But it's about, you know, connecting connecting with God. And and. And it's only with his empowering us are we able to produce the fruit. Um, so it's, in a sense, it's not us doing. It's us yielding and allowing to be done through us. This obedience is that 
that aspect of, hey, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. Just like I'm in a relationship with Amanda, and I'm in a relationship with everyone here. We've gotten to know people, you know, that picture of the hike. Which, I mean, what that showed is i got to get to know five guys here a lot better than I had from two days ago. A lot better. It was awesome. And that's developed our relationship to a point that now we know more about each other. And now we understand each other better. And now we can obey each other better. I know that's a weird way to say it, but we can't. You know, I know, oh, well, this is where Wesley's coming from. Or this is, you know, where Nick's coming from. Or Jeremiah. Or, or Chris. You know, the, I mean, but we have these interactions. We have the life. We have the relationships. It was, it, was, it was really good. And you know what? Kind of in that sense, you know. Oh, I remember on the way down, I think it was Wesley. Hey, there's a, there's a loose rock right here. Be careful when you get to this point. We could have ignored it. I think it was Nick and I were still above him at the time. We could have ignored that, and we got there. And if we got there, yeah, we probably would have tripped on a loose rock and could have slid and, you know, done, done whatever else. It was in one of the steeper parts. But, and just understanding that, we obeyed Wesley. And when we got to that spot where the rock was loose, we were able to, to navigate that safely. That's kind of what we're talking about here. That's kind of what we're talking about, except at a bigger level, because we know that Jesus loves us. And he's bringing us back into that unity. Because that's the important part of verse 21, coming back to that. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So what we see um, is that really we're working together. And I want to just illustrate another thing in this passage. Uh, I'm going to read real quick out of chapter 12, because I want to lead into an illustration that maybe will help us walk from here. Uh, and appreciate the Super Bowl in a different way. Uh, but I, no, just, uh, just, just appreciate a way that maybe we can understand this idea of, of what it means. Okay, this is great. What does it mean? How do we live this out? How do we walk out that door and do something practical when I'm not telling you do X, Y, and Z? But it's, um, this is uh, John 12, 44 through 50. Um, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So what we see here, his commandment is eternal life. In this kind of instance, he's not saying, well, I command you to live forever. No, if you obey, if you understand the commandments, you have eternal life. You know, this is the promise that we have, that the burden will be light, that we are entering into this relationship, we can have eternal life. As we go, and you can go ahead and flip the picture up now. But as we go into this idea, I really quick just want to talk about eternal life. That's not eternal life, but, but it, it'll make sense in, in just a second, I promise. Um, eternal life is interesting. Eternal life is only used by John in his gospel when we start to see it. And the other ones, there's a passage, and we talk about it quite a bit. Participating in the kingdom of God, you hear that? The kingdom of God is this aspect. Well, I had a class this summer, and what's interesting is the kingdom of God is only mentioned once in John, and it has to do with entering into it. 
Jesus responds, and this is what brings us to, in John, this idea of eternal life. Eternal life is the entrance into participation in the kingdom of God. That's eternal life. Eternal life is this, that you know Jesus, that you're in a relationship with Jesus. That is eternal life. And in a weird kind of way, eternal, we think of eternal as being infinity. It goes, it has no beginning, it has no end. It's a, it's a time, which it does. But eternal life, in the way that there is being used here, there's a qualitative aspect to it that is more than the quantitative. I think the, uh, I think the way to think of it is, how many of us, when we're in life, man, something's just not right. Something's just not right with this life right now. Man, if I only had this or I only had that, if I only had peace, if I only had fin- you know, financial peace, if I only had something or if I only had this connection, we get to the point where it's like, he says, if you obey me, you ha- you'll have this eternal life. That question goes away. And, and we saw this again for those, and I hate to re- always refer back to the thing on Thursday Night Experience with God. Ju- still jump in it if you can. I mean, it's, it's great. But when uh, Steve was talking about how when God fills us and he moves outward rather than us trying to pull something in to find our meeting, when, when, when Jesus fills us, when the Spirit's within us, it allows us and pushes outward and we're able to engage life. That's what we're talking about is this, this fundamental difference in life from something that's going to end something that's going to end in death, to something that has overcome death, a resurrection of Jesus Christ that is going to be for all creation and all of us that goes on. And so it's really kind of interesting. What does that have to do with football diagram up here? That's the touchdown. That's the end, or maybe even more than a touchdown, that's the winning of the game or, or the championship or whatever you want to say. That's the end. But yet it's not just the end. Because, you see, in football, and I would like to relate to football. I, I'm, do, I'm doing this when Steve mentioned I played football in high school, you know, and all that stuff. It, it was a lot of fun. But there's some things, I think, that when we really see about obedience, I think any team, not just football, I'm going to use it since it's the Super Bowl, um, is a great example. We're players on the field. And there's plays that are drawn up. What does it take for a play to work? What it takes is the coach has to call the play. The players have to know what that play is. They have to know what they need to do during that play, and they need to execute it appropriately and at the right time in order for the play to succeed. That's on any given play in football. That's what needs to happen. Well, there's a lot that goes on in that. The coach, I I think that, you know, it's safe to use this as a metaphor that Jesus is our coach. Jesus and the Spirit, you can sit, you know, both of those, that's what's telling us, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we're participating in what God's doing around us right now. This is how we obey in this moment if we allow ourselves to understand, or maybe not obey in that sense, but this is, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. The players, all of us, we have our different positions. You know, you have the quarterback, you have the wide receiver. On a touchdown pass, a lot of times when we're watching TV, what do we see? We see the touchdown pass. We see the ball leave the quarterback's hand, fly down there. Do we see what everything that happened in order for that play to succeed? Did we notice what the left tackle was doing and blocking, you know, the, the quarterback's blind side? Did we notice the, the footwork that the quarterback had to use or the way that he held the football, the way that, that he released it? Did we notice the multiple receivers that were running routes and, and, and reading certain things from the other defense to understand which way to do the route? I, I know it's it sounds weird, but, like, at the NFL and these, and these top levels, 
a receiver is running a route and actually usually a lot of times has three options on some of these plays. Based on what the defense or what the circumstances are being dictated to them, they do a certain thing to get open so the play can succeed. And, and, and they have to know all this stuff. Um, the quarterback, when he's dropping back, you think he's thinking about, okay, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. No, that's what practice is for, and that's what I'm getting at. That's where the law comes into play. That's what we're getting to. The games, in a sense, and we can see practice. You're on a team. We're on a team. This team's called the kingdom of God. <laughs> the, the reign, God, God's reign in our life. The only way that we can get to this point to be successful is to understand what it means to live in that kingdom. So understand the philosophies of the quarterback or of the, of the offense. Understand the plays. You you learn that from the you know usually when you start at camp, and this is probably true for track. You're going to start at the very basics, the fundamentals, the details. The okay, this is how you block. This is how you tackle. This is how you you know shuffle your feet. You may not even get to that until you build up some uh, endurance, you know, and, and other things like that. I mean, there's there's all these aspects that come into how to play. Those are the spiritual disciplines. That is the obeying of the law. When we start to see that, we start to understand that, oh, yes, I, I know I love Jesus, but what does that have to do? I don't know how to love my neighbor. I don't, I don't know what that actually looks like. What does that look like? Yeah, I love him, but what does that look like when I just, you know, don't say anything to him and are rude to them or, you know, whatever else? You know, how does it play out? How, how does that connect? That's where we start to seek God. We read scripture. We understand what the Spirit is leading us to do in those circumstances. Now we're starting to see, I think, how practice, how, we, how every day we get up and we have a play. And, and, and we're not always going to execute the play perfectly. Quarterbacks get sacked. Plays get busted up. Interceptions happen. That's okay. That's not the end. In, in this case, because we know how the end's going to be. The end's actually, and that's where this illustrates, we aren't going to lose the game. The outcome has been decided. And so I think what we, if we can see that it's this idea of us building teamwork and chemistry, that our salvation, our, obey, our obedience, our understanding God's commands is what leads us together, because the commandment is to lo love one another. That's one of the commandments that, that's right there by the verse that he's saying to do. Love God and love others. When we get to that point, it's just a continual progression. It's a continual movement. Marching down the field. Slowly. Slowly. Are we ever going to get there? Maybe sometimes it's a big game. Maybe, you know, Winterfest is a 25-yard, you know, deep strike. And then the week after is, man, that was a one-yard gain or a one-yard loss. You know, stuffed the run you know, working together. But we're not alone. We can't be alone. There's no one player that can win an NFL championship. You know, it takes 22 on the field. And and in our case, it takes all of us. We see that we're the body of Christ in, in these aspects. And so it comes together. I think that we just really, if we can understand that the obedience is loving God and being about his kingdom. That's obedience. Loving God and being about his kingdom, which is loving others. 
Loving God, loving others. Being about his kingdom here on earth. That's what we're called to do. That's what this verse is saying. That if we know God and we start to be obedient, we're going to be about his kingdom. That's going to lead us back to the Ten Commandments to be like, oh yeah, of course. If we're going to be about building and being a part of this kingdom, yeah, you can't kill people. Well, yeah, that, that makes no sense. But it also leads to what comes to, oh yeah, there's some circumstances where just as Jesus broke certain commandments to lead to his true character, there's going to be those times where, wait a second, you're asking me to do what, God? And that's what I actually want to leave us with, is just this idea, you're asking me to do what, God? Because this is the word of God, you hear that all the time. But in John we see, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And in this very passage that we we were using in John 14, it talks about he who does not love me does not keep my words. You know, it uses words in there. And I just want to, real quick, this is for Steve because he, he wants me to break it into Greek. No. <laughs> no, but that, that's, uh, there's a couple different words that are actually used in, in the passage that I've re- referred. Most of them are logo, logos. Or lo- um, it's basically the word. And this idea of word is, it's a concept word in a sense. It's a lot of times spoken rather than written. It can be written. I'm not saying that the word is not written. This is obviously the word of God. But even at the core, the word of God that we are being obedient to, as John himself says at the beginning, is Jesus Christ. That is where our obedience lies. That is where if we place all of our love, all of our obedience, our whole beings, when we understand that and follow that, everything else works itself out. And we see this in different verses in different places. You can see this. But if we can just make that flip and that switch and, oh, yes, it's not about me. It's not about me and how well I'm obeying or not obeying. And if I do this thing better, then I'm going to get this from God. But, no, I've already blessed because I'm in a relationship with God. And I want to do this better because I want to know God more. Like when I started dating Amanda, I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to do certain things that made her smile. I wanted to buy her gifts. I wanted to do, I still want to do those things because I want to get to know her more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, but it's just, I mean, I, I think if we can think about that when we really want to know each other more, I mean, that's what we're about. That's what the law is about. That's what obedience is about. That's what love is about. And with that, I mean, I, that's that's what I have. I think that when we just want to get there, you know, think about that maybe when you're watching the game today. If you watch the game today. Watch everything that is going on in the play. Take a time. Pick up somebody who doesn't have the ball. One of those big guys that is hitting each other. Try to watch what they're doing. And and be like, wow, they're being very obedient to what they need to do to make sure that their team's successful. And then we can think about that in ourselves. I I may not see the touchdown pass. I may not be the person that that has somebody come up to him and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. But I might have been the person somewhere along the way that planted a seed or showed a kindness or showed a love or a patience or an ability to develop a trust with somebody that they can see something's different. There's some. There's a power. There's a person. There's something here that is leading not to yourself, but it's leading to God. And that's being about God's kingdom and being about God's business. 
And that's where we're at. So with that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for loving us. That in and of itself is just more than I can fathom. That you have created us and you love us in spite of what we do. In spite of our disobedience, you continue to love us. And you have drawn us back and you redeem us. And you bring us back to where we actually have the ability and the hope to be obedient. And the hope that is love. The hope to be knowing you more each and every day. And that redemption is your work here in this earth. And help us to be about that. Help us to be about bringing others to know you and to live in this community that you have developed. And finally, Lord, I just want to thank you and ask that each person here has, can just take something that's, that's, that's not a burden to them, but that is a hope. A hope that this love and this obedience is something that is, is attainable not by our own will or strength, but because of who you are and the fact that you sent your spirit upon us and that you have promised to help. And may we just learn to yield our own wills to you and to, and to live in that way. Amen.